I'm Jack Newton, CEO of Clio, and this is the Daily Matters podcast. On Daily Matters, we talk with legal professionals, industry leaders, and subject matter experts about the future of law. We explore where the legal industry is headed, how legal practice is changing, and what you can be doing to position yourself for success. This episode of Daily Matters is brought to you by the 2020 Clio Cloud Conference, the world's best legal conference, which is going completely virtual for the first time ever. Get your pass now at cliocloudconference.com. Today's guests are Kelly Hayes and Elizabeth Betsy Spahn Stotler, owners and managing partners at Stotler Hayes Group LLC, a distributed boutique law firm with a national presence and local resources. Kelly and Betsy, it's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Kelly and Betsy, to start off, can you tell us a little bit about your firm and what makes it unique? Sure. We represent nursing homes, largely nursing homes, many healthcare providers, so largely nursing homes in the industry. And we um, don't represent families, POAs, guardians, anyone on, on the other side. You often, in the industry, you'll often see nursing home firms or firms that work with nursing homes representing both sides. And from day one, pretty early on, we knew that we weren't comfortable with that piece, that element. Um, in, in order to really provide the, the absolute best service, we thought it better to draw a pretty hard line and um, not even try to represent the other side. So we want to just think, breathe, eat, sleep, you know, what our clients do and, and how we can best serve them. And uh, do you mind just elaborating on, on why that focus has, has been helpful to you and, and maybe clarifying to your, your mission? Sure. Um, well, one of our, our main goal is to assist healthcare providers with complicated or, or super complex Medicaid reimbursement, um, private collections, compliance, education and training. And so in order to, to really pinpoint and work with the, the healthcare providers, we did limit not working with families, residents, guardians, um, you know, our, our attorneys have become experts in the field and are often asked, you know, I have a family member or just, we know the neighbor down the street is looking at a nursing home. Can you help him? And, you know, it's just, we, we say no, because we want to be a one-sided provider um, in, in terms of our client base. And, I, and sometimes that gets a little uncomfortable because we, you know, we're humans, we have grandparents and parents who are getting older and there is kind of an urge to help that side, but it's, so it's not so much that we don't appreciate the human element and even see it in our own lives. I've had parents in the hospital and been on that side of it. So it's more just uh, the dichotomy of as a law firm, that's who we represent. And, um, and it, because we do also look at the human element, we really work at a resolution and try to keep in mind that, all around, you know, that there are both sides with a perspective. And I think, Jack, to your question, I mean, the unique piece of the firm for me is, is you know, it's that you single-sided representation in the healthcare and specifically in the Medicaid world, but it's also from day one when Betsy and I, you know, met before the existence of the firm, it's always been cloud-based, it's always been virtual, um, you know, it didn't start as 50 attorneys. It started as just the two of us. But over time with growth, it's, it's that our, our mission and our goals as they started, which, which was really just providing excellent client service in an industry that we enjoyed um, for clients that we respected, that has continued as we've grown. But we've done it on you know, in a virtual way with our attorneys working from home offices and now distributed throughout the country. And we'll, we'll talk more about your incredible growth journey in, in a moment, but I'd, I'd love to rewind uh, all the way back to 2012 when you, when you founded the firm. Uh, your, your website says that in 2012, you were two lawyer moms who wanted to work at an innovative distributed law firm that balanced work, life, and clients. And that since this type of firm didn't exist, you created it. Uh, would love to hear more about that founding story and the, the origin story of your firm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, and it um, it's kind of one of those, the path opened up as we walked along it. Um, maybe that's not that uncommon, but um, we each had a few legal jobs before this. Um, so, and I had good and bad things at, at any of my prior jobs. So my first firm, very laid back, great environment, very autonomous, but very little mentorship. Um, the next firm, um, a, a lot of mentorship, um, a little too much mentorship, um, not laid back. Um, and then by the third firm, I had my first kid. Um, so I was kind of like a 24-7 workaholic, had a kid, planned on still being that, and then um, realized that, that I didn't want to be that anymore, but that, you know, there had to be a way to like love and accomplish both. Um, so I just happened to be at a very traditional firm where you get the side eye if you come in at 9.05, there's a commute. Um, I wasn't so into water cooler chat, not because I don't like to talk to people, but like then I was like, got to get stuff done. Like I, life is different now. Um, so, and Kelly and I talked uh, about the cases a lot because I was at a place where I was the only one practicing in this area. And um, so I was just kind of thinking like, what could I, how could I make it? What, what place out there possibly would be able to fit with what I want? Like no commute, practice in this area that I love, talk to my friend about the cases and we get really excited about it because we both always have loved that practice area. And um, that's kind of where we decided there's not one. How many jobs are we gonna, <laughs> how many notches in the belt before this ultimately happens? And I was really afraid of taking this leap. Um, people kept telling me, like I talked to other people who'd started a firm and they were always saying it's the best thing they ever did, but I lived in DC at the time. So I was like, but then if I'm homeless, you know, if this doesn't work, that won't, that will kind of, it was very scary. Um, so um, I guess, and this is the really corny thing I would say is that I started feeling like it, the risk of never seeing my baby and being at a place where I just didn't really fit. And I didn't feel good being there because you can tell when you're not, you know, I didn't want to be at meetings at 8 p.m. to talk about the next meeting at, eight, you know, um, so it, it was kind of like this leap, actually, this risk feels better than not. So. Right. You saw the downside risk of the status quo as being more significant than the risk associated with making the leap into the, the unknown with the new firm. Yes. So can you tell me more about the moment that, that the two of you decided to, to take that leap and what those first steps looked like? I don't know. I don't know that I remember an actual moment. I mean, I think there were lots of little things. I mean, I, I don't know, Betsy, maybe you remember there was a straw that broke the camel's back, but it was, it was a lot of little things that, that accumulated over time. Um, when I was on maternity, I was at a, a small firm a local firm and was on maternity leave with my second child and my maternity leave wasn't leave is probably probably a bit of a misnomer it was more <laughs> of a um, working from home stint where I was continuing to do the work that I was doing at the firm because it was so small I wasn't able to really take a leave the, I, I was the only one doing the cases and they're the same kind of cases that we that we're working on today and um, I was doing this from home and I think, you know, once I, I left the safety maybe of this, you know, brick and mortar and brought the work, that same work to me with an infant at home, you know, that was sort of, I, I realized it could be done at home. And, um, you know, we, we didn't have a business plan, so to speak. I mean, we sort of did things not the way that most people tell you to do them. Um, you know, if you're getting entrepreneur books or starting your own business books, this is not the, the 101 that you're gonna get from them. I mean, we didn't have a business plan. We didn't, we didn't want to take out any loans because we, you know, weren't sure what was going to happen and neither one of us wanted to repay loans for a failed business. Um, so we just liquidated all of our, our cumulative savings and, um, you know, we started with what, what can the name be? And then, you know, just a lot of Googling and firm starting resources in terms of, you know, getting an EIN with the IRS and looking up small business um, insurances and malpractice and little by little, you know, and I think even when we were doing those things, we weren't entirely sure we were going to 
um, pull the trigger and, and put them to use. But eventually there were, you know, we had everything we needed and it was just the moment of, you know, okay, let's do this. And, and what would you say the, the founding principles of the firm were? It, it, it sounds like being distributed, uh, finding a, a better balance between the demands of, of work and, and life and everything else was something you were trying to, to strike. Can you, can you tell us as you went through that process of founding the firm and starting it, um, what you really kind of landed on as, as some of those foundational tenets for how you wanted to set up the firm and, and grow from there? What, you know, do you want to talk, Betsy? Oh, um, you, you, if you go, I'll go next. Okay. I was going to say, I mean, I, I don't think we actually, we never had this conversation of, you know, what do we want the founding tenants to be? Uh, you know, again, we, we sort of did it uh, maybe a little backwards. Betsy and I knew each other. We know, we, we knew each other from prior jobs. Um, we'd worked together in the past and I think there was an innate trust between the two of us in terms of the, the vision that we had that we weren't necessarily giving um, verbiage to, you know, really wanting to excel in terms of client service and the, the distributed part, it, it, our intent wasn't necessarily to grow the firm. I mean, it started as just the two of us. And, and I think if we rewind back to 2012, you know, and you ask us then how big is this thing going to get, we would have looked at you quizzically and said, you know, what do you mean this thing? It's, it's just her and I, and it's just going to be her and I, we trust each other. We know that we work well together. We know that we can do a really amazing job for our clients. And so those were our tenants. Like, do mm -hmm. really good work with somebody you know you can work really, really well with. Um, years into, um, you know, and, and that worked well for about two months. And then we had clients that wanted to give us more cases. And Betsy's clients merged with my clients and they talked to other clients. And all of a sudden, you know, three months in, we hired three full-time attorneys. And I think years, a, a couple of years down the road, we realized, you know, we need to be more intentional about the culture and the tenants and the values. And so we, we worked with a change management consulting company and devised values and a mission statement and, and sort of all of those things, but it didn't come until a couple of years in. But what's interesting about that process is when we sat down to look at, you know, what do we want our values to be? We, we did go back in time to 2012. I mean, we looked at our current attorneys and our most successful clients and our most successful employees and tried to find common themes among them. But we also went backwards and we realized that the, the, the values and the characteristics and the traits that we were identifying in terms of the successful members of our team or the most successful members of our team and our happiest clients were values that you know we couldn't have 2012 wouldn't have looked the way it did without those values we just didn't call them that at the time right um it, interestingly we we went through a similar process at at clear where we didn't have any encoded or explicit values for the first couple of years and it was only once we started scaling it sounds similarly to, to to your experience once you start hiring some people and and you you realize you've got something special you go to the work of encoding the values and getting really crystal clear about the, the mission statement. Cause there, there's always something I find implicit and embedded that you just want to try to find a way of extracting and, and, and codifying for the organization as you, um, as you grow. Um, and, and Betsy, I, I know you had something you wanted to, to add to that as well. Why didn't you go ahead? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, it's along the lines of what we didn't put into words. We are very different personalities. So the uh, consultant she was talking about, they were like, you guys are very polar opposite. <laughs> and we were kind of like cringing about that. But they said that that makes us complement each other really well. And looking at the values, um, I mean, the things that I think made us work together really well are especially some of our similarities um, that we both had just a very fierce, dogmatic way of resolving cases and probably even in life like resolving a customer service complaint resolving a kid issue we are very you know resourceful and willing to get creative and i mean I'm, i've told some of these stories so i won't go into them but just times where kelly handled an appeal here appeal hearing while she had a stomach bug once and i was just completely like whoa and i once had a, almost a standoff with an alj because i was like 
I just can't leave. Like I can't leave until something happens. And we both have that passion that I think is something that we expect of people who work here, but not everybody lives that way. And it's been a little bit um, like when we talk about being family people a lot, but we're also really passionate about our jobs. So I think that's unique because a lot of people are one or the other. I mean, a lot of people are both, but we fall, we, we really embrace both. So it's, yeah. we try to not have one at the expense of the other. And we're always in that trying to find that balance. And I think those are two attributes that we've always had when we have known each other, we kind of knew that about each other. So I think there is, I'd love to hear what advice you might have for new lawyers that are, are looking to, or not new lawyers necessarily, but lawyers that are looking to start their own firm. And maybe they're at an established firm. Maybe they've been working at a, a firm where they've got the support system and everything else. And they've been able to depend on that for a while. It sounds like I've talked to a lot of lawyers that are interested in making the plunge into a, a solo or uh, as you as you two did, maybe finding a partner and starting a, a smaller boutique firm. Um, but they get stuck in, in the analysis paralysis that I think you were alluding to earlier, Kelly, the, the idea that you can, you know, do all the business planning and get a little bit stuck there often because you can, you can get um, really dragged down by the minutia. It sounds like you, you both took to some degree a, a leap of faith, but figured things out along the way and ended up growing organically uh, in this in incredible way where you've now got over 50 full-time employees, uh, 28 attorneys across 33 states. Um, it's, it's really pretty incredible. And I, I'd love to hear if you had to go back and give advice to your 2012 selves or, or you had to maybe go back and, and give advice to somebody considering today making the, the leap to starting their own firm, what, what advice would you give? And one that really jumps out is it's not absolutely don't believe that this is going to be an easy job. It's probably the hardest job because there's no one, there's no, I often want an Oracle that we can, you know, ride over to and ask what to do because it's, it's very stressful, but it's also really rewarding. So um, anybody who thinks that it would be nice because then they can just run the show and don't have to answer to someone I mean, the rules that other people are usually imposing when running a business are uh, necessary often. Um, so we wanted to start, we started this chill, very laid back. We don't need very many rules around here. And as it grew, we continuously had to reshape and say, well, that was true with two people, but now with 10 people, we need to have a few more rules. We need to change some of these policies or add some policies and then with 20. And so it, there's also been a lot of accountability. We've had to learn how to own change and instead of resisting it to investigate, figure out what it could look like. Um, and so I think any kind of, if you're ready for some really, really tough work, um, then I would say it's worth doing. And we, we love it. I mean, it's, I would never go back. I agree that it's the best decision, but I, I was naive about, you know, the, what it would take then. Right. Kelly, anything to add to that? No, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, eight years ago, 50 employees and 30, however many states, I mean, we, we've lost track at this point because we, we are, we're continuing to grow. Um, we're, we're in the process of hiring in, um, admit, uh, amidst COVID hiring in, you know, four or five states still. I think when I look back at our 2012 selves, I mean, maybe it was the, a little bit, I don't want to say naive, but you know, we're, we're, we know so much more now than, than we did then. Um, you know, we, we didn't know how much we didn't know. And that may right. be one of the reasons we went forward. Um, you know, like Betsy said, I, I wouldn't change it for the world, but it's, it's very much been a work in progress. And I think not being afraid, you know, you like indecision is decision, right? You, you, when you overthink, you tend to um, remain in the status quo. And so you're, ultimately choosing where you are if you're not changing. Um, but I, I also think you have to know going into it that, you know, it will be a, 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 a just, it'll be a work in progress with a lot of 
evolution in terms of, you know, if you, if you do intend to grow it, I mean, if you start as two and that's your goal and you want, you want to be two, like that's great too, but that's a different mindset. If you go into it and we didn't necessarily go into it, I don't want to say growth mindset and, and misuse that phrase, but you know, we didn't go into it expecting to, for it to grow beyond the two of us, right. but we went into it giving still notwithstanding that both of us went into it, giving it everything we had and then some. And I think that was really what made it successful. And we continue to do that. And I think as it's grown, the everything, giving it everything and then some, as it grows, <laughs> that gets bigger. Like what you have to put into it, you know, bigger isn't always better. And, and um, Jack, I'm sure you know this from Cleo, like, having 50 employees is more challenging as a leader than having 10 employees. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, and, and, and not in a painful way, it's just, it's different and it requires more of, of you. It requires, um, you know, it, it, it just, it does. And I, yeah. and I think that's something, you know, we didn't, because we weren't anticipating the growth we didn't think about. And so when Betsy says, you know, it's hard, that's what she's talking about. I mean, for, for anybody that's a parent, <laughs> if you have one or two kids, imagine having 50. Right. Uh, I've certainly talked to many entrepreneurs that thought it would be easier being their own boss and thought that sounded great. And then realized, you know, it's actually a lot of work being an entrepreneur and, and founding your own company. And uh, another parallel maybe that, that may not be uh, obvious, but when we founded Clio, uh, we had my, my co-founder, Ryan Govro and, uh, and I had had similarly uh, modest ambitions. We, we we thought that it would just be the two of us building a cool little tool for lawyers to use. And and when we founded Clio, we we never anticipated uh, what the company would grow into uh, over the course of the next uh, the next twelve years. And um, sometimes you, you you talked about kind of how things happen organically. Sometimes you just need to kind of pivot with with uh, evolving opportunities that the marketplace presents. And sometimes you strike a nerve and, and hit into something that's got a lot more demand than uh, than you might have anticipated. Uh, one, one thing I'd love to dig into a, a little bit more in is what working in a distributed way looks like for your, for your firm. And this is something that um, you've been doing before it was maybe brought into vogue thanks to to covid and and every firm is uh you know either accidentally or deliberately uh, operating in in some form of distributed work today uh talk about why you went that way uh first of all and, and betsy you mentioned earlier just wanting to eliminate a commute and kind of maximize efficiency but what other reasons did you choose to go distributed and can you talk about what some of the practical challenges that you've encountered over over the course of growing the firm have have looked like and how you've tackled those challenges um and, and continue to operate efficiently in a, in a distributed way right well i think i mean at the core of our decision was the fact that i was um I, and, and still am in South Carolina and Betsy's in Illinois. And so if we wanted to be, you know, create something together by virtue of just our, our, our different, physically different existence, um, you know, that, that was really the only option. We didn't, it, it wasn't necessarily an intentional choice as, as much as the only choice. Um, and when we started, when we, you know, two or three months in when we realized we were going to need to hire additional staff. I was working from home. Betsy was working from home. And, and part of it also was that, you know, we didn't take out loans. We didn't want to go open two brick and mortar offices in two states for, again, a business that didn't have a business plan. We wouldn't have gotten right. it even if we tried, right? I mean, <laughs> right. we would have been laughed out of the bank. So, you know, as we, as we realized that we had a need to hire additional staff, attorneys, we looked for the most excellent attorneys that we knew and we didn't care where they were because it didn't matter because it didn't matter that Betsy was in Illinois and I was in South Carolina. And so I think, you know, our model is just highly skilled attorneys that will be able to work from home because not everybody will. And that's one of the challenges that, you know, would be my, an answer to your, to your question. Um, 
you know, just looking for the talent and figuring out the logistics later. So, you know, I don't, again, I don't think it was an intentional decision as in terms of, you know, we have A, we have B, we have C, let's go with B as much as, you know, really the only way we can logistically make this work is for us to be in two different places and, and to rely on cloud-based technology. And, you know, in 2012, there certainly weren't as many cloud-based options as there are now. Um, Clio right. was, was, was one of two um, providers that we looked at. You know, now we, we, we currently rely, you know, really heavily utilize technology, and we always have, but we use Vonage for internet-based phone, Zoom, um, Teams for virtual meetings. You know, we've always, our attorneys have met virtually, like we, like five of us are now, each, each of our attorneys meets with all of the other attorneys in the entire firm on a weekly basis by Zoom um, to have some FaceTime. And we just talk about, you know, strategies, regulations that are maybe coming down in different states, big wins, whatever. We have a quarterly happy hour, which, you know, is probably fairly unique, but we ship alcohol to states where we can ship alcohol and ship goodies to other states. And we get the entire firm, all 50 plus of us on Zoom for just a happy hour where we're not initially talking about work, but but using a virtual platform to try to connect because we do have people, you know, so many people that are working from home. And then we have a um, quarterly virtual Zoom-based uh, firm-wide meeting called Fireside Chat where that is more business specific. And, you know, we just talk about themes that we've seen, new employees, new policies or practices, how the firm's doing, um, maybe new software that we're looking at, challenges. You know, we do a lot of communicate. I mean, I think I, we do a lot of communication and I think communication is really, it is one of our values and it's the way that, you know, we do tons of surveys and chats and emails, just, you know, really trying to keep, keep, um, stay connected with employees despite the physical distance. And it really makes culture, um, I mean, I think culture is always important, but we have to craft it and work on it a lot to make sure um, people are feeling connected and that there's authentic relationships and there's not tone in email. I mean, there's always tone in email. So we're trying to work on more one-on-one calls. We spend a lot of effort um, we've been told that it comes from the top down and so we really try to make sure that we're healthy with our leadership and and um, we're both in agreement and we're um, making sure that everybody feels included on the team and getting you know somebody's getting connected somehow with someone um, so we've um, we put a lot of effort into culture uh, just knowing that you can you can sense a bad culture, no matter how you try to hide it. And we don't want to be that, you know, we never want to be that place. So we, we work on that a lot and the virtual nature makes it, it's easier if you're in the same building and you see each other all the time, you're connected and it's kind of effortless. Um, and you can tell who's like-minded and who kind of jives, but it's, it's really dark and hard to know unless you're putting in those kind of measures. Right. And how, how have you found connecting one-on-one -on -one when you when you're looking to build these interpersonal connections in a distributed world uh, how do you foster that you, you talked a little bit about having one-on-one -on -one meetings trying to move communications maybe from from emails to quick zoom syncs for example are there are there other ways that you've found to uh, to build culture and build inter interpersonal relationships in a, in a distributed world um, those are, I, I think the Zoom happy hours, the one-on-one the -on -one meetings are two great starting points. Is there, are there any other tools that you found to be effective on that front? I think we've, we've used um, Teams, you know, as a chat device, but we encourage people when you're going to just pop in there and team somebody with a chat to use the video feature so that, you know, you really have a quick, your one-on-one -on -one is um, in person, so to speak, by, by video camera. And then we found some other tools. Uh, Bonusly is a company that uses, it's a HR, it's an online-based HR sort of reward system um, where every single employee in the country, in the 
in the company gets a set number of bonus league points and they are able to kind of just give little shout outs. They, you know, say they get 200 points a month. You can give anywhere from five or 10, 15 points to anybody and each, you can't keep them yourself. You only give them away. And if you don't give them away at the end of the month, they, they disappear. Um, but everybody gets their allowance re upped at the beginning of each month. And it's sort of a, um, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's just a program where our, all of our employees can use points and just kind of give shout outs to each other. You know, thank you for covering for me while I was out or, you know, amazing job at a hearing today. And um, their points are redeemable for, you know, anything from Amazon gift cards and Starbucks gift cards to donations, you know, donations to their favorite charities, or they can just cash their cash received points out. So just really small things like that, I think, are ways that we try to keep people connected despite their physical distance. And we try to have in person and remember that value. Um, so we have retreats every couple of years. And I think having a, our corporate office in Polly's Island is a huge bonus in that way because we get to, you know, those of us who don't live near the beach all get to get together at the beach. Um, and we have um, something called Club SHG where um, all of our employees have an allotment where they can go experience the corporate office um, a couple times a year. So, um, and they really take advantage of that. And actually they could go visit each other, but I, it's, they must like going to Polly's Island because that doesn't happen very often. And, um, but we encourage um, camaraderie and buddying up if, and um, try to foster just being authentic, which I think helps the one-on-ones to be real instead of awkward. Um, and then we have a, a retreat every couple of years where everyone gets together. Maybe, I don't know if I said that already, but yeah. And, we also and, have and, a couple internal committees, a, a stay well committee and stay safe and um, stay good. And they're, they're different committees, stay kind, sorry. Um, they're different committees that employees volunteer to be on and they do things like, um, like stay well, for example, each month they do a different um, health or wellness related challenge. So either drinking water or getting outside or um, just learning a new, you know, cooking or picking up knitting or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but there's a, the committee sends out a challenge each month, whoever wants to participate can, and you track your participation points and win prizes at the end of each month. And I mean, one of our employees suggested a book club. We've done that. Uh, you know, we do just about anything you can think of to try to keep people connected. Mm -hmm. We have a firm intranet and we host photo contests um, from time to time. I don't know, just, you know, we, we I think really seeing each other, um, you know, our, our training, our interview and our training used to be in person, but it has moved to a virtual platform because of COVID. Um, but I think all of our HR is done by video and so mm -hmm. you know employee evaluations employee feedback all of that is done by video and I think there's a there's an element to face-to-face -face, even when it's done by video that really does provide like Betsy said the, the ability to read authenticity and body language and and not mistake you know tone and email and, and that sort of thing I'm interested in hearing your approach to hiring um, and, and hiring a profile of person that is a good fit for a work from home or a distributed work environment, because that's not everybody. Um, and certainly some people that think they might be cut out for it are, are not cut out for it. Um, different level of skills, different set of skills, different level of self-motivation that needs to, to come or be realized in, in somebody that is working from home in a distributed world, obviously a different level and higher level of trust that you're placing in them as a, as an employer as well. Can you tell us a little bit what, what some of your learnings have been over the last uh, eight years in terms of building, um, you know, profile of what you think uh, a successful work from home uh, attorney or uh, support staff looks like? Right. 
Well, you sort of answered the question, right? I mean, we've learned the hard way. People, a lot of people, nearly everybody may answer the question, do you want to work from home? Would you enjoy working from home? Would you prefer working from home with a resounding yes? But in reality, you know, most people, many people, and we've had, we've lost, had great employees that have left because, simply because they don't enjoy working from home. And they did not know that about themselves until they had the opportunity to work from home. And so, you know, that was certainly a lesson that we learned the hard way. And I think one of the, one of the um, pieces that we've put into play fairly recently is utilizing a human intelligence, which is not cognitive intelligence, but more an emotional intelligence. Um, You know, it's, it's a profiler to put it as, bluntly as possible. Yep. Um, but you know, you talk about how, like how you communicate, yes. mm-hmm. how, how you communicate, what do you value? What are your mm-hmm. goals? Um, you know, do you, do you prefer innovation or stability? Do you prefer working alone or in a team? You know, what would your, in, in an ideal situation, what would your, um, you know, day look like? And it's a really thorough questionnaire, mm. interactive questionnaire. And the cool thing about it is it basically scores each individual and we're using it now for, for applicants, but it, everybody in the entire firm has taken it and we share our profiles with each other so that, you know, I know what Betsy's communication style is. I know what Betsy's motivators are. And so when I have to have a, an easy conversation, you know, maybe I don't need to look at that, but when we have to have a difficult conversation, that's something that I might want to review before hopping on zoom and having a call in terms of, you know, how do I communicate in a way that she's going to respond to most effectively? And I think for prospective um, employees, we ask them to complete this questionnaire. Not ever, not everyone's even going to want to do that, which tells us a lot about a person. Um, but what it does is because everybody's taken it, it has given us sort of the standard profile of, you know, our highest performing attorneys and support staff and operational folks. And so, you know, we know from a purely empirical standpoint without any subjectivity, um, what those people look like. And so when we look at prospective employees, we can measure them against the folks that we already have here that are, that are successful and, you know, really enjoying the environment and the culture. Um, Do you mind sharing the specific test you use for this? There, there's a number of, uh, I know, similar profiles available on the marketplace or similar assessment it's, tools rather. Right. It's a, it's a software platform and it's, it, the name of it is human intelligence. Human intelligence. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think your point around how those profiles can be helpful in, in navigating some of those harder conversations is, I mean, that's an, almost a user manual for how to interact with somebody that can be enormously important, e- even if you have the benefit of an in-person interaction, but it doubly so uh, in a virtual environment to have, have that as a tool to help navigate uh, what might be a tough conversation with somebody and just know what the more likely strategies for communication are going to be with an individual. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think because we all, you know, mine's up there for everybody to see. Betsy's is up there for everybody to see. It's a really transparent system. You know, we're not, we're not hiding behind anything. We're not hiding anything about ourselves. Like anybody who wants to call me up and um, have a conversation with me can log, log into their system, you know, log into the system. They see theirs, they see mine. And, you know, it really scales the differences. It pinpoints the similarities between me and the person who is maybe wanting to approach me. And it um, highlights the differences and gives you really objective data. Like you scored a two in this and this person scored a 10. This is, this is going to be an area where, you know, you want to, you want to make some, you, you need to bridge a little bit. If you had to extrapolate or generalize from what you see in these human intelligence uh, tests uh, or assessments uh, and, and what correlates with your highest performers, are there, are there patterns that uh, you think you could share out in terms of these attributes seem to correlate with somebody that works really well in a, in a distributed and work from home environment? 
looking at you, Betsy, to make sure I don't want to, and I'm not trying to cut you off. Um, no, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I think interestingly, and this may be a little counterintuitive, but most of our most successful people come up as, as having a, a really team player environment, a uh, team player uh, profile, mm -hmm. which you maybe wouldn't necessarily in, you know, intuitively guess based on the work from home setup. But I think because of the culture of the firm and, you know, all of the efforts that we do have to stay connected and the the value that we put on communication that you know for us at least which isn't to say everybody working from home would necessarily so i apologize for not directly answering question but i think for you know even for us our work from home environment may be different than somebody else's work from home environment and our our culture and our expectations are going to be different than another law firm that is set up in a in a work from home situation so you know, for yeah. us, our most successful people have been folks that are really team minded and, um, you know, in, enjoy stability, which again, to me is sort of counterintuitive in terms of working from home. But, uh, you know, so we, I, I don't know if we've done a, the firm has done a good job at sort of bridging the gap between what normally work from home looks like and what people are experiencing or, um, you know, just the, the culture of the firm is a little different than a, I don't even want to say more traditional work from home firm, but right. a, you know, a more traditional firm maybe. Um, can you tell me about what some of the impacts of COVID-19 have been on, on both your firm and your, your clients? I'm, I'm curious from an operational perspective, I assume that uh, COVID-19 wasn't as big of an impact given the fact that you, you already had a fairly distributed mode of working. Uh, but maybe you can tell me if that's not the case, if there were impacts that might be harder to anticipate on, on your day-to-day. -day. And, and in particular, especially given your focus on um, medical law and, and, and healthcare providers, what specific impacts you've seen on your, your clients? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that, you know, for the attorneys, at least, uh, you know, the model was created to accommodate attorneys that were working from home. So, you know, using technology and staying abreast of industry best practices in terms of leading a remote workforce, not much has really changed there. Um, we did add, you know, one of the one of the bigger challenges, I think, was the attorneys now, uh, many of the attorneys had little children at home as um, co-workers. Right you know, um, and that was one <laughs> of our contests, like, yes, fill, fill in the blank. My coworker did the following today. Um, you know, and, and so much of the firm, it, our, our parents, moms and dads and, um, or grandparents that were helping, you know, their children and their children, children. So, you know, I think that was a little bit of an adjustment and I, and I think just, you know, giving grace and, um, we added the Calm app. I don't know if you're familiar. It's a you know meditation-based app. Yep. We gave everybody in the firm a subscription to Calm, thinking like, yeah, if there ever was a time, um, now is the time that we all take a deep breath. And right. you know, we for, we did form a COVID committee, like many businesses, um, and it's represented. You know, the members of the committee are attorneys, paralegals, and then different folks. Are, you know, obviously our IT. Um, person and our back office, some back office, you know, office manager and, and folks like that. And, you know, the biggest change was probably, like I said, moving, interviewing and, and training to a virtual platform. But, it, you know, if anything, it being moving to virtual forced us to kind of hone in on the processes and streamline them to make them more efficient in an online platform. You know, if you're training somebody in two weeks uh, for over a two week time period in person and you're kind of just hanging out for two weeks in person, um, shadowing them or they're shadowing you, uh, you know, it doesn't call for a maximum level of efficiency. When you have to convert that same transfer of knowledge to an online platform, you can't Zoom for eight hours a day for, for two weeks straight. And I think, you know, the, the, that COVID in that way has really presented us with an opportunity to create a better, more efficient uh, training uh, experience for, for our new folks. And then, you know, we did have to move our back office operational support folks um, to home for a period of time following state and local national guidance. We 
evaluated every single position that wasn't in office position and determined some of those were going to have to return, even though we didn't necessarily want to. We were really embracing the virtual model more than ever, like many people. Um, but we did release a, a good number of those positions to or convert them to be work from home positions. But, you know, in terms of coming back, we've we've followed or exceeded state and local guidelines in terms of, you know, providing PPE and training on PPE and social distancing. Um, everybody who works in the office has their own office with the door. So, you know, and, and just small little things like converting the common snack area to individual baskets for folks to have in their office so that, mm -hmm. you know, we're trying to minimize the number of um, other humans that we see during the day in person. I mean, our clients have been phenomenal. They really are on the front lines of the pandemic. Um, you know, they have been faced, you know, really inundated with just a massive logistic nursing homes, just a massive logistical operational challenges, you know, inundated with regulations. And they have really been nothing short of phenomenal in terms of continuing to communicate with us and work with us and move their cases. Um, you know, we've surveyed clients and talked to them. We put up a COVID page, a resource page for clients. Um, and we've talked, uh, we've created and posted a bunch of resources in terms of, you know, of all of the states in the United States, which states are open, what courts are open, what does it look like if they are open, um, you know, who's allowing online notarization, who's not, if they are, what do they require, and then just tracking the substantive uh, piece of the law in terms of Medicaid waivers, which, you know, a lot of states have passed legislation that relates to um, collections, private collections and, and halting or putting further restrictions on private collections that have impacted our clients. But a lot of states, many, many, many states have adopted Medicaid waivers that have um, made, you know, increased flexibility for our clients and, and providers everywhere in terms of the, what they can do. It's kind of lessened up some of the restrictions and the compliance piece so that they can really focus on just trying to serve their clients um, and not be, you know, tied down with a, a ton of compliance based restrictions and paperwork right now. now early on, ahead, there was, um, I, I just have a, a little bit of a brief ad, but we were both, I mean, as everyone was very overwhelmed with the uncertainty and changing court rules and, mm -hmm. you know, all of the hysteria going on. And we had to really take a deep breath and just stare at the fear, stare in the face and, um, and kind of get calm so we could continue to run the business, but also remember the human side, which is, I mean, the word balance is thrown around so much, but we really had to be like, how can we be really, really good people and do everything we can for these people who we care about, but also keep our business under control and also do it calmly and knowing that nothing is certain. And that was a really, like we had to have some conversations talking through what does that really look like? And I, I think, gaining composure and, and, be, and being brave was really helpful. Maybe to wrap up, uh, if each of you could share what your number one piece of advice for somebody looking to found a distributed law firm would be, if you had to distill our, our conversation into one takeaway, one piece of advice, uh, what would that be? And maybe we'll start with you, Betsy. Um, it's hard to boil it into one, but I, um, I think um, looking at what work-life balance, another overused phrase, but um, not having in your mind this two circles sitting next to each other with perfect boundaries um, that aren't ever going to be encroached upon. And instead, you know, just completely erase that and um, think about what you want it to look like and how you want each of those lives to look and um, make sure that you're, you're excited to have both of those because you have an equal love of both. And, um, and then find a way to make them work together um, and, and just, and learn to embrace that. So that means sometimes they're going to bleed into each other and they're not going to be um, succinct. And um, so a really good example that works with this podcast is that I had my third baby at CleoCon in 2016. And um, that was, I mean, 
sometimes my kids ask about that. Like, why did you have Alma in Chicago? And I was like, cause I was with my, my work family and it yeah. just happened. And, right. um, it's, it was, uh, I mean, it's always a great, um, kind of a story and memory. And I feel like that's the ultimate work-life balance. Like that wasn't a bad thing that happened. It was like, that's on my path. I'll always, you know, I'll always have that. Funny Love memory. that story. I feel like I can't compete with that. <laughs> um, you can say plus one if that's yeah. The, like, the well, same I'm done. For you. I have three and I'm done. Um, no more babies. Maybe more Cleocons, but no more babies. Um, you know, I think when we look at the firm's values, two two of the firm's values are um, orchestrate your outcome and and hammer. And orchestrate your outcome basically means um, start at the end, figure out what you want it to look like, and then work backwards. So, you know, just envision your ideal reality and, and take small steps backwards and, and chip away until you get to a starting block that's manageable. And then ham hammer, um, you know, Betsy, <laughs> Betsy and I developed this uh, value and, and it, it was basically about, you know, not giving up, but without those, that cliche phrase, um, you know, if hammer, if you can't hammer, build a ladder, get over the wall, you know, dig under it, use dynamite. Like there has got there, there's always a way you've just got to sometimes be a little creative. And so I think, you know, not being afraid to, um, not, not ever taking no for an answer and finding out, you know, what is your way, even if it's not the way, or it's not handed to you on a plate of options. Um, you know, you, you just got to figure out, what you want and keep working at it until you get it. That's certainly a big part of being an entrepreneur. Um, well, Kelly and Betsy, thanks so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed our conversation and congratulations on the uh, huge success you've had over the years. It's well earned and I hope it uh, continues into the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider for supporting this podcast.